Hello and welcome back to Victorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm someone who did not go to art school, but I love to always continuously learn about art. And I'm Betty. I'm also someone who did not go to art school, but I have been working at an art gallery for the past eight years. And sometimes I go to other art galleries and I read it to people like Quinn. So for our last episode of 2020, we're talking a little bit about the one time we got to hang out. Um, I don't know if we mentioned this on the show before, but we started working on this podcast before we'd ever met in person. And then we found out, we didn't even plan this. We found out coincidentally we were going to be in New York City, a city that neither of us live in, on the same weekend back in September 2019. Um, and so we met up and we went to the new museum and we saw a really cool exhibit there. So today we're generally talking about experiential art. And so at the very basic level, this is literally basically art that you can experience, that you can interact with and kind of be a part of as opposed to something that you just look at and don't touch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there is some kind of art history precedence to this, which is that um, the whole kind of idea of experiential art came about, I'm sure it's not the first time in, in history, but it's the first time it's been like recorded in art history textbooks, I guess, was the um, kind of like the 1960s. So they, uh, a bunch of artists specifically in the US, but also internationally, were inspired by futurists and Dadaists from the 1910s and 20s who kind of started the idea of performance art. Um, so then in the 60s, a lot of artists took this to like another level and they called it happenings, which is exactly as a sound. It's a thing that happens. Sometimes they're called like installations. So they'll arrange a thing to happen and they might like put stuff in a room or whatever and it's supposed to involve the viewer uh, the viewer is not just viewing they're actually participating usually or at least they're within the space and the artists who um, are staging these happenings generally are people who are who have like fundamental different between them and traditional art galleries and they kind of want to bring it into everyday life and they want more participation from the viewer. Um, so there were artists like Klaus Odenberg um, and uh, even artists like Yayoi Kusama who staged these types of installations um, all the way back to the 60s. Uh, obviously, artists continue to do that and many artists do that today and they're not necessarily called happenings anymore, but uh, they could be. And the main exhibit that we're talking about today is Marta Mnuchin's uh, La Menesuda, or specifically Menesuda Reloaded. Um, So Mnuchin is a experimental conceptual artist who has been working for decades, and she first created this experiential exhibit called La Menesunda in 1965, um, so kind of right in this era of the happenings, <laughs> as as they were known. Um, and this was an exhibit that was supposed to represent Buenos Aires, where she is from and where she lives. So it's a room, it's this whole space that you actually walk through, and room after room represents sort of a different idea of culture in the city, um, and especially when it first exhibited in 1965 like it was 
very experimental and a lot of stuff in it was quite controversial uh, in the way that it was presented, um, which I think is really cool because she really believes in art being temporary and so and tearing everything down um, or even just making things in temporary materials in the first place. So the original La Menacunda no longer exists. It was all destroyed, but it's been recreated and so it was exhibited um, in the new museum and now it's exhibited in other places. It's going to the Tate and everything. But what we saw, like, I, I thought it was really cool, but I there was nothing there was, like, shocking. But in the 1960s, it actually was, like, kind of a bigger deal. Yeah, I would say the only thing that was, like, slightly shocking, but not, like, not like really shocking but just like unexpected to an extent was um so yeah like you said it different rooms and different areas represent different parts of life um in Buenos Aires um and then there's this one part where it's just like a bedroom there's a mattress on the floor and then um there's like a couple lying in bed together and like so yeah like it wasn't like super shocking but I, I guess like I don't see a lot of just two people lying in bed together in most museums so it's like not a typical thing you would see um and so uh yeah I think and because the rooms are really small and they're really tight spaces it was like you turn around and you go up these stairs and you just like there's like a ledge and you just see these two people lying in bed together so I think when I saw it I was like oh oh hello and like I wasn't entirely sure if this these two people were like visitors or like (laughs) a part of the show and actually I'm still not entirely sure but I think they were probably a part of the show um but I would assume back in 1965 when it was when it was first shown people would have been like oh my god there's like a couple lying in bed together (laughs) like i don't even know if that was on tv at like at the time if you would even see that on tv yeah well that was the thing like of course it was surprising for us to see like people as part of an art exhibit because we were like oh that's not usual but like at in 1965 it was scandalous (laughs) to have a man and woman laying in bed together even though they're just like sitting there reading magazines, you're just like, oh my god. Yeah, they weren't like naked. They were like they were in their pajamas, or and and they weren't like having sex or anything. They're just like, <laughs> like yeah, like talking or reading there. Um, but I, I'm sure at the time it was still like, oh my god. Um, and then and then I'm also not sure like who what the couples looked like back in 1965. But the ones we saw, like it was a black man and a white woman, which I'm sure in 1965, people would have just lost their minds. <laughs> well, presumably the original exhibit, like they were both Argentinian. Oh, possibly. Because it was in Buenos Aires. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't actually know if there's any specific like reasoning behind the casting of the different people in the exhibit. Cause there are, we'll talk in a moment about the other people in the exhibit. Um, so I don't, I don't know if there are any specific like racial requests um from minutiae about like who should be cast but yeah that's that's who was in it when we saw presumably they also have a lot of people they don't just have like the same people every single day day in day out <laughs> no they gotta lie um, there for the entire duration of the three they, months <laughs> they can't they live go in home. that room <laughs> this whole thing was actually first recreated in 2015 back in buenos aires um and then the the one that we saw in 2019 was the first presentation of this exhibit in the united states which is pretty cool um and i will say like i mentioned that it's going to go to the tate like it was already supposed to be there but because of covid it's been delayed so 
potentially like people in the UK will be able to see this like sometime soon. It is actively kind of out there right now and being exhibited different places. Going through my pictures and what I can remember is um, there there was like a room with just like all this like neon light everywhere and like it, it definitely felt very psychedelic very 60s I have a really nice picture of you um <laughs> in that room um and yeah it's it's it, it, um that part was just very yeah I think just very trippy and presumably you know there were lots of neon everywhere in Buenos Aires in the 60s yeah you started out like there's these neon rooms. Mnuchin specifically mentioned that that's supposed to represent the nightlife in Buenos Aires. Um, there's There was a room where you just saw little black and white televisions playing stuff, the room with the couple. Um, there were some areas that were really kind of claustrophobic to get through when you were sort of like kind of battling your way through obstructions to get through the exhibit. But... Um, before we get into that section in the last room, I think one of the most striking things about the whole thing that literally stays with you is the makeup room. The whole room is constructed under the concept of it's the quote unquote inside of a woman's head. And so it's kind of commentary on like, oh, women only think about makeup. And so it's like you're supposed you're in like this round room. It's supposed to be the inside of a head. It's bright pink. There's just makeup uh, like in packages taped onto the wall everywhere and then there's actually a human being like running a mini nail salon inside the room and she just like hey would you like me to paint your nail and we were like sure <laughs> and then you pick a color and she paints one of your nails <laughs> yeah i i mean i really i'm i don't think that practice is going to continue again for a while of mm. just going mm -hmm. and getting your nails painted but it was great that we were able to experience it i actually literally just realized that we were like i i, I knew we were metaphorically inside a woman's head but um i was just looking at the pictures and i just realized that we're looking at a reverse like eyes nose and mouth um like from the inside and and then the uh, the person who's running the nail salon is like sitting just inside that, and her name is Miss Yilang, and she um, she has a lot of nail polish. She did a good job painting my nail. I will say, I kept that one painted nail for like a while. Oh wow! Okay, very nice. Yeah, and then um, I do at the path of getting into the nail salon. It, it was this like narrow, super claustrophobic staircase and it had um, but good thing is it did have like foam all, all the way around so I guess if you hit your head it's it's soft. <laughs> Which I presume people do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is supposed to be supposedly it's Buenos Aires from an artist's perspective is what she said. If you can't tell by the way we've just been talking about and describing this whole exhibit, um, Mnuchin is very weird. And I love her very much. I'm going to link a video that the Tate did that is one of the ones that I watched where she's just talking about her life as an artist and specifically um, uh, La, La Medicunda. And it's just amazing. She's so strange. And, she, and I really love the fact that this art piece is designed so basically you can see the world through her eyes and you can see like sort of tongue-in-cheek bits of social commentary, just sort of an overload of the senses in different places, these very sort of like obstructive, claustrophobic rooms in other places. It was really fun. Yeah, I think it was, uh, it definitely 
feels like you're inside someone's head not just one one of it is like you know it, it literally f- it is supposed to represent that but um i think because of like the claustrophobic nature of it and just all it's it's a an overwhelming load of stuff everywhere to your on your senses um i think that the part we were you mentioned earlier about the black and white tvs because they're showing uh footage from surveillance cameras that are around the space so very often you see yourself in it and i there's a picture of me like picture of me taking a picture of the um surveillance camera and then it shows up on the tv it's very inception we'll put a picture so you know what i'm talking about but um it just that part like yeah i felt very you know kind of like disconcerting and uncomfortable and i think it's supposed to because you you know it's presumably about surveillance and cameras and seeing yourself on them yeah and it's an interesting touch with that being something from the 60s because art commenting on the surveillance state is like pretty common now because of you know everything and like phones (laughs) and everything and how much of our life is the panopticon now but seeing like even back in the 1960s like this uh pointing out of cameras and surveillance footage and everything was pretty interesting the fact that this has been recreated now in like you know 2010s and now 2020 um there is um it's not only kind of like looking at what things would have looked like or what she would have thought about back in the 1960s in Argentina, Um, there is a contemporary commentary or possibly a contemporary interpretation of it because now there's um, social media and, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, there there is an even bigger or some could argue explosion of imagery um, in the world now. So it, it really makes this work relevant right now. Absolutely. And I think you referenced this before, but I think like one of the last or maybe the very last room that you go through at the end is this room of mirrors. And so the whole thing is mirrors and there's a spinning platform in the middle. So you can get on the spinning platform and then it'll spin and these fans will go off and blow confetti everywhere and lights will flash. (laughs) So it's just (laughs) sort of this somewhat psychedelic experience. um, and just uh that you get to very much be in the middle of and be a part of it and also be a part of like making that motion happen um and it again something else that was really fun and also like according to Mnusian is supposed to represent freedom and coming out of the more like boxed in spaces where you're banging against stuff and have to figure out how to get out of little areas then you get through this like really fun thing at the end with lights and color um and almost an overwhelm of the senses, but very victorious at the end. I would say I would probably not recommend being very high when you're going through this, even (laughs) though it sounds like it could be a good experience or interesting experience for some, but it might just be way too overwhelming. I don't know. I I was completely sober when we went through and I felt like I was on drugs. (laughs) It would be very funny if you were like, I was really high when we were there. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'm pretty sure my brain would have exploded or something. Yeah. Um, And I, the thing I love the most about the confetti room and the fans is, is that confetti ended up being everywhere in the whole building like oh my we gosh were, i think before we even got to this exhibit we were on like the second floor or something we're like why is there confetti everywhere and it, it had like nothing to do with what was on the second floor it just it just blew 
all over the building. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, it was, that was so funny, and it was like, oh, 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 when you finally get through that room, <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's where it's coming from. And it's like, I mean, I could just imagine having cleaning up after this exhibit leaves. Like, I'm sure the new museum is still finding confetti, like, and will for the next ten years. Oh yeah, I'm sure the staff of the new museum did not like this exhibit. <laughs> The one thing that is a huge bummer about it is that it's completely inaccessible. Um, there's lots of like going up and down stairs and lots of like sensory experiences that are very much not accessible for a lot of people who are disabled. And so that definitely sucks. Um, I don't know if they have accommodations that are available for people who like need mobility assistance or anything so that they can also experience it because i mean obviously it was built in the 1960s and i don't think that was a consideration when she built it but now it's 2020 um and so like i'm hoping that there was stuff i didn't see from the main aspect of it that like they do have ways to make it accessible or that hopefully like that is something that they're building into it as it continues to sort of go around the world but but yeah, that is something I noticed as well. Definitely. The fact that they have a chance to rebuild it everywhere they go is, you know, there's probably chances to incorporate accessibility into this. Um, but I, I guess maybe in certain parts of it, you know, the the whole like going into a tiny little tunnel is technically a part of the experience, which, you know, if you made a giant wide ramp, it, 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 it will probably change the nature of it to an extent. But, you know, I definitely think... Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you lose everything in the experience. Yeah, it would even be interesting. I mean, I'm not Minutian. I'm not in charge of this, but um, <laughs> yeah. it would be really interesting to have like parallel experiences um, that present different sort of different perspectives on the same artwork as you travel through it. I think that would be really cool in a way to even expand the piece sort of for the 21st century. But I don't, I don't know what they're planning to do with it, but I think that would be cool. <laughs> Well, while we're here talking about this, I think we had a couple more sort of experiential art pieces that we've seen that we wanted to mention as well. Uh, yeah, one thing that this topic reminded me of right away was um, a particular artwork that I saw around the same time, just a few months before. Um, so these are the two pictures I sent you earlier. Um, so th this was at the LACMA, the Los Angeles contemporary county or, <laughs> county wow I'm like, the los angeles county museum of art um and so they had a show back in um i think this was june or july of 2019 um it's called the allure of matter material art from china so it was uh works from china or chinese artists and you know had to do with matter and material it's a really great show I, I was looking through my pictures and i i just thought i thought of like six topics for us to talk about <laughs> just from looking at these pictures amazing but, mini series um, coming <laughs> yeah <laughs> mini series based on that one lacma show but the one work that um i thought was really cool and also um you know, it, it wouldn't technically be called a happening, but it really could could be, and and it is very experiential, but also is similar to the Manujan work. It's kind of ephemeral and temporary. Uh, was this work called Traceless Steel um, by the artist Song Dong? And I've mentioned him before, and I was actually going to talk about a couple more of his artworks, but I'm like, we need to do a whole episode on this guy because he's awesome. Um, but just you know, quickly to touch on this piece. Um, so <clears throat> what it is, it's a giant stone um, 
piece uh and are actually it looks like stone but it's made of completely made of steel um and then there is actually a heating mechanism in the middle of it um it's very high i think it's like almost doubled the height of a person by maybe like 10 feet or something and there is a puddle of water on the in the basin underneath and then the stone is just like or sorry the steel is just exposed and there it the particular artwork provides paint brushes like traditional Chinese looking brushes and it invites the viewer or visitor to pick up the paintbrush dip it in the water and paint it on the steel so then what happens is um, it almost looks like you know you're drawing with ink on the steel but it's just water so then um, what because there's a heating mechanism it actually when after you draw on it it disappears within like a minute like 60 seconds it, and then it's it's completely gone um, so it continuously changes throughout the day depending on you know people painting on it um, so like I went up and I, I just put the Chinese uh, characters for you and me, mostly because those are the few characters I remember how to write. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean anything deeper than that. <laughs> so, and, um, but yeah, you can, there like kids love this work. Like you can draw on it and then you can, you know, write on it and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so it's, um, his inspiration is memorials um, in China. So like steels or, steelies i don't really know how to say this word but they're these giant you know stone tablets that are meant to commemorate people or events and just like important things in history um but it's kind of interesting that this turns it that concept on its head because the whole idea of having a giant tablet with carved words is to be super permanent that like it lasts centuries and millennia sometimes but this literally that whatever you write on it lasts less than a minute um and i, I th he's also inspired by uh Taoism and like notions of impermanence and like you know uh, how water is translucent and formless and it's this just this whole idea of you know everything dies I guess <laughs> like if nothing is permanent um and yeah so I it, it really love works like this because it not only invites the visitor to uh to participate but also yeah like n nothing is ever the same with this and the only the only record of me writing on it is because I took a picture of it uh, but other than that it's completely evaporated that is really cool and I love the way that it involves especially children like you were talking about and being able to interact with something and see your mark on it but then see it disappear um I feel like that's such an interesting contrast to like the permanence of the the structures that inspired that. And this piece actually reminded me of the wall in Belfast. So Belfast, Ireland was basically the epicenter of the troubles. Um, and there was literally a wall put through it. And while there still are a lot of problems um, in that area and conflicts in that area, and some of the wall actually still stands, um, which is, yeah, sad. But there is there are sections of the wall that have been left up specifically kind of as monuments to peace. Um, and they are covered in murals. And there's some sections of the wall that are actually there specifically for people to write on. And so you are actively encouraged to, to take Sharpies and to write on the wall messages of love and peace from around the world. 
and I just think that was that's really amazing and it I think that it actually counts as like an experiential art piece even though it is like literally a wall that was used to separate people in times of war it now is a kind of in the way like the Berlin Wall is now covered in murals um for art and peace and all of that like it's a very similar thing but it also in- actively invites people to be part of that experience but also because everybody's writing on it all the time like while you are like writing in permanent marker on this permanent wall like in a way it is also temporary over the long term because eventually like it will be covered over and written over by other people and so it's kind of a similar concept but on a on a longer scale yeah that's that's a really great connection um so another trip let's go to northern northern ireland and write on that wall when this is all over in like five years Um, another another work or, or series of works that are on this topic, I mentioned earlier, uh, so the Japanese artist Yayoi Kusama uh, was kind of, you know, one, probably one of the pioneering people of the happenings, even though she was never given the credit. <laughs> um, so she, um, uh, I won't go into a huge uh, introduction on Kusama because you can watch my YouTube video on Kusama called Why Kusama Matters. Uh, plug. <laughs> So uh, if you want to know more about her, but um, Kusama, uh, basically, she um, she started doing her first uh, like immersive installation back in the 60s as well. Uh, One of the first shows she did is called the 1000 Boat Show, where it literally is a boat made of penises. Uh, well, sorry, fabric penises, not real penises. Um, and then she took pictures of the bow and then reprinted it like, I think, a thousand times on the wall. And apparently um, this a show, um, Andy Warhol came to see it. And this was one of his inspirations for doing his multiple repeated images motif throughout a lot of his work. So of course, Kusama's like, and Warhol ripped me off. <laughs> so um, anyway, so but one of the things she's most known for are her infinity rooms. So a few years ago, we had Kusama's infinity rooms, uh, infinity mirrors exhibition at the AGO. And I think it's probably gone on to other places or have plans but obviously that's probably changed in recent months um but anyway you her her infinity rooms are all over the world so there's i think there was one in la when i was there and then you know we have one at the ago now permanently so you could actually go experience this probably wherever you are um but they're really immersive so um they kind of range from the one i just mentioned uh, where there's she has one room called Phallus Field, which is a room full of fabric penises uh, with polka dots on them. And then she has uh, other ones that look like it's the kind of like stars or lights or galaxies. There's one called Fireflies on the Water, where it's just like it looks like there's a million or trillion candles and lights everywhere or fireflies everywhere. And so, um, yeah, like lots of people have, um, you know, different experiences with her rooms, but um, some of the words that I found um, in my research a while ago about her work um, was these words 
such as intimate compression and epic expansion. So like when you're in some of her rooms where it looks like it's like the galaxy, like you kind of you you almost feel like your body's like floating in space and but not just like physically, it almost feel like your consciousness is like floating into a million pieces. Um again, her works are sometimes quite like psych- psychedelic and um feel like you're tripping even if you're sober um and uh some some of the rooms that you know you, you may have like seen pictures of is she has this room where it's just full of pumpkins with polka dots all over them and again because it's mirrors everywhere it's reflected infinitely um it, i honestly it's it's difficult to like describe how crazy her rooms are like if you go on instagram you'll see like a uh, billions of videos and pictures of it so you can kind of experience it in that way but it really is one of those things where like you have to physically go there and to to really experience um so again when museums are fully open and functional i would recommend it i will say i have not actually been able to be in one of her infinity rooms yet but i have seen some of her other work and it is very interesting and so i would love to be able to experience the infinity room someday yeah, for sure. And the Infinity Room at the AGO is, uh, unfortunately, I think still closed. And that's another thing. You you kind of, they're small rooms. Um, I think, like, generally, they only let one or two people in at the same time. Um, so I don't actually see what the problem is, except I guess, like, you know, because they're small spaces, if you, like, sneezed in one of them, it could particles could stay around for when the next person comes in. Um, but you just might have to wait 10 minutes between people. So... Well, at any rate, lots to look forward to in the future. I like how the stuff that we've talked about today has created like a whole world tour of artists and things (laughs) to check out. We got a list. Hey, guys, we're looking at 2021. Are we optimistic? (sighs) No. But, (laughs) you know, we can keep a little bit of hope of life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Pictorial. You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial or on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at aspiringrobotfm. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at articulationsv. I'm also on YouTube at articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also upload these podcast episodes to YouTube with pictures that we edited throughout the show so for this one you can experience the art uh, with us as we talk about it thanks for listening art enthusiasts